when you stop and when you stop doing, you may even become aware that you've been busy to avoid things that you weren't ready to deal with. But because you stopped, you've given it space and it is safe. It is mm -hmm. safe to deal with those things. And those things are calling to you. You just couldn't hear them because you're so busy doing. Welcome to Openly Spoken, the podcast to help you show up, speak out, and be seen. My name is Celia Antonio. I am your host, and I am also your guide to dropping you into your body for unwavering confidence, authentic self-expression, and effortless creativity. And this podcast is a mix of solo and guest conversations all about self-love, relationships, sexuality, spirituality, womanhood, divine feminine energy, and more. My wish for these conversations is that they help you step into loving and accepting all parts of you, that these conversations help you in building a life that you're absolutely in love with, and that these conversations help you express your deepest truth. You can always connect with me over on Instagram at selfexpressbabe, where I would love to hear your thoughts on your favorite episodes and keep these conversations going. I invite you to get cozy as you receive this episode that's about to come through, that you stay curious, that you ask questions, that you take what resonates, and that you, of course, leave out what doesn't. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to another episode of Openly Spoken, the podcast to help you show up, speak out, and be seen. Today's guest is Carrie Bakwier, and I'm so excited to finally be sharing this because we chatted last year in November of 2022. So I'm excited that this episode is finally going to see the light of day today. And let me first introduce you to Carrie. So Carrie Bakwier is a chronic illness coach. She's also a spunky mom of three teens, and she is a survivor of simultaneously a brain injury, Lyme disease, and a mold illness. And she transformed all of that chaos and overwhelm from these three major things that she was dealing with into thriving. And she did that through an unstoppable mindset and a soul-centered strategy. So because she overcame this major medical crisis, she pivoted from her 20-year career as a project manager to becoming a chronic, a chronic illness coach. Can't talk today. <laughs> and Carrie uses the lessons that she learned through her recovery journey to empower those with long-term health challenges to get unstuck and reclaim the life that they love. And you're going to hear the story of that. We actually started this uh, conversation with talking about how a major health crisis can crystallize your soul purpose and transform your life. So you're going to hear Carrie's like firsthand experience on how she did that for herself. But really, I would say that like the summary of this episode is like how you can show up and be of service from a place of wholeness. And there are a lot of little gems here for that topic. So yeah, I highly recommend maybe like listening with a little journal next to you, or maybe you just sit back and relax and let everything kind of like be received 
So just a little bit more about Carrie. She is a holistic um, coach. So she's a chronic illness coach and she works holistically. So what this means is that she partners with her clients to build wellness at the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual levels, which I love. Carrie also works together with clients to help build support from loved ones, shift their mindset, advocate for their needs, realign with their values, and implement medical recommendations. I think this is also like such important work to be doing, especially like I'm I'm speaking from like my limited point of view living in America, and I know that Carrie lives in America too is that people who have chronic illnesses aren't really advocated for and aren't really like seen mostly as like, I was going to say valued, but like, we don't really, we don't know when people have chronic illnesses all the time. And it's like, not something that we like to talk about because we just share, you know, highlight reels. We're not going to go, go around telling people like what we have. And um, yeah, it just feels like so important to have, this part of being human essentially be supported. So I really love how Carrie is doing this with her work and how it's such a personal way that she ended up landing on doing this. And yeah, I'm very excited for you to hear this episode and this conversation where you are going to just hear so many little nuggets about being of service from a place of wholeness. You're going to hear about how a major health crisis can help you see your what you're actually meant to do here and how, like how something that can be so chaotic and so painful and terrifying and yeah just like crazy how that can really transform to end up being something where you look back and you're like wow I'm grateful that that happened because I saw something new I saw my potential I saw where I meant to go so without further ado let's get into today's episode with Carrie Bakwe. So I usually like to start and ask with like, what's alive in you right now in regards to our topic. So we're going to be talking about how a major health crisis can help you figure out your soul's purpose and like completely transform your life in a good way. So what's alive for you today with that? It's so interesting because part of what's alive for me is as I step more into my soul purpose as I try to become who I'm meant to be, mm-hmm. I am coming face to face with letting go of who I've always been, mm. if that makes sense. So who I've always been as a human, for years and years and years, I've had these constructs and these perspectives and this way of seeing the world. And they served me for a period of time. And I'm coming up against that to be this new person, I have to let go of those old ways. Mm, yeah, that's difficult to do. I'm kind of going through something like that with um, my diet. I was okay. a vegetarian and a vegan for a long time. And I'm like, with Thanksgiving coming up, I'm like, I want to eat turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Go gentle. Yeah. And I've been like... um for the last couple of months been like sitting with that and like grieving and like just yeah. like, asking myself like am I really sure and my body's asking for it and yeah some it's it's hard to like when you have strong beliefs about something when you start to question that and that like shatters like your whole identity is like 
pulled out from under you like a rug. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think there's so many different ways that happens, right? Because mm -hmm. in this instance, your body's telling you what it needs, what it wants after years of, of, of being aligned in a different way. And now you're, you're paying attention to a different need, right? Yeah. Um, whereas I have a, a need that's come out of being sick and needing to step into my sole purpose. So there's different mm -hmm. ways that it comes at us, but they still, there's still the loss and the grief and the upheaval that happens as you try to change. Mm -hmm. So what is your sole purpose? My sole purpose. It, it's it. I sigh heavy and I don't know why the heck I sighed heavy because it's so <laughs> exciting. It, it's so big and it's so powerful and it's, uh, it's informed by my illness and that purpose is to empower women really mm. get deep into holding women's hands so that they can own their own their power own their voice and take control of what's theirs and let go of the rest so that they mm -hmm. can get the healing at the physical emotional mental and spiritual levels that seems so elusive mm -hmm. so it's that. it's uh particularly women they're disproportionately impacted by long-term health challenges. Mm. Uh, there's so many different things that we hold and we carry. And it's not to say I don't want to help men because I'm happy to help men. But I have a passion for serving women and serving their unique experience of illness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel the same as you. Yeah. And um, I've recently been diving into research about uh, the female body, specifically breasts, because I have a breast massage course that I launched okay. about a month ago. And wow. um, yeah, it's been really fun. And um, yeah, disproportionately, like men can get breast cancer as well, but it's it disproportionately affects women more. And it's like the number two cancer related death in oh uh, developed nations. And that's followed by, um, it's not followed, like the number one cancer-related death right before it is lung cancer. So it's kind of in the same area of the body. Right. Which I found very interesting. Well, uh, and, you know, on a, uh, on a spiritual plane, on mm. an energetic plane, I'm curious, as you say that, what comes up with the energetics around the heart and how we're living? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah. as, as women, we like, don't always get the space to speak our truth and, you know, stand up for ourselves in the workplace, ask for the raise or, you know, let our true expression out. Cause there's, you know, sometimes there's people will call you a bitch or like, there's, you know, there's things sometimes yeah. that come up with that. So then we hold it in. And when we're holding that in, I, I think that that's all carried in the heart space because, if you can think of someone who's confident, their heart is open. Yeah. And, and when you're not speaking your truth, like it dwindles your confidence and then you start to have this type of a posture. So, and that caving in that, uh, that dwindling that, um, there's a loss in it there. And, yeah. and there's a sadness that so many of us can have 
when we have lost touch with our voice, with our power. Mm, and I call yeah. that, uh, that a lot of what you're talking about, I refer to as a divine feminine, that energy, that softer, like it's softer, but it's still powerful. It's gentle. And it, it is um, effective and flowing and easy versus the rigid and the structured. You know, I, I'm not saying this in a throw out the divine masculine. I'm just saying that what we so often are missing is that balance, that, that, mm -hmm. that integration of the divine feminine with the divine masculine. And mm -hmm. so much, you know, you're talking about the repercussions of speaking up for ourselves um, that we've been taught so much of it's been taught to us of, um, how we good girls in school, keep our heads down, do the work and mm -hmm. the good grades. We've been trained that that's how to best operate in this world. And yeah. so I think what you and I are doing is, is I believe part of our passion is to help that expansion, that opening up the heart centered way of living and breathing and expressing. Mm hmm. Yeah. And that makes me so excited to be able to be doing that. Um, something I've noticed that it's come up already twice, maybe three times, is this piece around grief. And I'm so curious with your journey, um, with your journey of you realizing that you had an illness and like having that lead to you realizing a new purpose for yourself and a new identity for yourself how was grief a part in that and how did it help you there's so many layers of grief that come with illness you know mm -hmm. i was i was facing what i thought was the end mm -hmm. and there was the grief at the trauma i was causing my kids there was the grief at the loss of functionality, the loss of who I thought I was and who I thought I'd be. But specific to your question and soul purpose, there was grief and maybe better stated regret around what I had not yet stepped into. I had utter clarity, just crystal clear clarity that I had not lived up to what I was meant to do as a soul. I had not used my gifts in the way they were intended. Now it's not to discount how I'd shown up previously, but mm -hmm. I had, it, Tara Moore uses the word play big, the phrase play big. Um, and so I had not been playing big, I'd been playing small. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was meant to serve others in a way that was too indirect from the way I had been doing it. And so another aspect of the grief that informed that is I had this procedure and during the procedure, I was terrified. I was all alone. My husband had been kicked out of the uh, patient office um, because he was afraid of needles and they were using a really big needle. And um, so he was down the hall. I was, I was alone, it was cold, the, the, the practitioner was indifferent and cold as well. And I had this God moment as I'm, I'm, I'm terrified 
and I look up and there's a small window above my head and there's light coming in and there's this sudden expansion of awareness. And I felt all the sadness and all the loneliness and all the fear of all the people who were in similar situations, who had been, mm. who are, and who would be in those situations, who didn't have someone waiting in the next room over. And I mean, it was this, I was one with that feeling. And it was, it, it was a feeling that if I can get through this, I will do something to serve and heal this. And, mm. and that's, that was a level of grief of other people's grief that informed my purpose, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I got chills up and down my arms and up and down my back when you mentioned that you were feeling the grief of all these other people that didn't have someone waiting for them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how beautiful. It was beautiful. And it was, um, you uh, tears flowing, like just, I just, it was yeah. this wave, this, this, this unity consciousness that, um, I just feel like was such a gift. Mm -hmm. So were any, I'm curious if before this time, were there any like practices that you were doing like meditation or anything that would help you be present? Or was this like the first time in your life that you had this big moment of awareness? I've had, uh, I've been spiritual uh, explorer okay. for, for years and years and years. Um, so there was a part of me that was tapped into the possibility, right? Yeah. And that opened mm -hmm. me up for what unfolded. Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting when you talk about grief um, and you talk about presence, I feel that that's really one of the keys to managing grief is mm. so much of grief is about holding on to the past or uh, uh, like uh, mourning the future. And to uh, move through it, you have to be present in in the now, because now is where you have control. Now uh, is where possibility is. And and that allows you to heal and move through the grief. Mm -hmm. So then with your focus on the now, what were some of the first things you did to like move through? maybe like after your treatment, or I'm sure that this realization was a big kind of like motivation for you to, you know, yeah. really like, be like, I'm going to make it through this because I meant to do, I meant to help people. Yeah, I have to say that there was, I was sick for a while. I was sick for three and a half, four years. Wow. Uh, so there was a period of time where I had to hold the grief. I had to hold this drive to serve. The mm -hmm. two major drivers in my recovery were um, my children, my family, and wanting to just wanting to be there for them and wanting to have the least traumatic impact on their lives mm. as I moved through the illness. The other driver was this purpose, this, this need to serve. And I held that, but that's not the action I took. The 
action was around the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual healing so that I could get to that place of serving. I have this, um, I have this theory around the chronic illness life cycle and there's, there's seven phases and a mistake that people with chronic illness often make is one I, I had some tendencies toward as well. One of the earlier phases are initial crisis where you're kind of drowning, can't breathe, feet hmm. aren't on the ground. You're just trying to figure out which ends up. The next phase is actually loss and grief. Then mm -hmm. you move into acceptance and release. And there's so much emotional weight here. There's so mm -hmm. much mental weight. And people in these earlier phases are often trying to go straight to serve. Uh. If they have any, any, any kind of, it, it's almost like a defense mechanism. If I can help other people, maybe I'll get better. Or maybe I can deny what's mm. actually happening. And that actually oh, no. makes it worse. You froze for a second. Oh. Did I? You said um, that discord, I think. The discordance Dis between okay. where they actually are in the life cycle and how they're behaving mm -hmm. actually gets in the way of the recovery. Because mm. you have yeah. to go through the steps. After acceptance and release is the physical transformation. After the physical transformation is the integration. And then, right? So, and then you get mm -hmm. to serving. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really interesting to me because I experienced some of that and I've seen that time and time again with clients and friends who are also sick. Mm -hmm. I love that you have those different steps. I think that's very helpful for anyone listening who might be, might have someone in their family or might be going through something themselves. I think it's also a very good, um, reminder that we need to have, we need to fill our own cups before we can give to other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, even though wanting to serve other people is coming from a good place, if we're not ourselves filled with our own love, then that affects our ability to even serve. And like, we don't get to serve at a, at a powerful, yeah, at that powerful level that we're capable of. You know, and there's another um, side of that coin. Um, part, part of it, um, is about serving from a full cup and part of it is serving from the scar and not the wound I don't know who mm. originally said that but it's yeah it's it's you want to serve from a place where you're already through the healing mm. not in in the rawness of it does that make sense yeah yeah that makes sense because you're like you're like this warrior that went through this like battle and you have that you know that physical and emotional and spiritual and mental strength from going yeah. through that experience and yeah. that gives you yeah. that kind of gives you like qualifications for lack of a better term <laughs> yeah to help others yeah you you it's the hero's journey right yeah exactly exactly so is there anything specific that before preparing for this call with our topic of like how, how you can find your life's purpose and like a new identity through going through an illness that you feel called to share for anyone that's here? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the first thing is my awareness of having a higher calling, a greater purpose came from this crisis. 
It came mm -hmm. from this medical crisis. I don't think that's a requirement. Mm. It may be another form of crisis. It may be another form of challenge, but you don't have, it doesn't have to be that situation. It can be a situation where you, you just really get in touch in that divine feminine way with the, the unsilenced, the, the, the irritation or the something's not quite right, right. And getting, creating space to sit with that and to connect mm -hmm. with what is my purpose? How, how do I really want to be showing up? And is what does that look like on the, I keep on saying these four, these four tenets, the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual levels. Mm -hmm. What are my core values is one of the key questions to be asking. What are my core values? And am I living aligned with those core values? Mm -hmm. So for me, I had the clarity that I wasn't, hadn't served yet in the way that I was meant to serve. As I healed and recovered, it wasn't just, okay, well, now I'm going to go into the doctor's office and hold people's hands, right? It's like, how yeah. am I actually going to show up? And I didn't have total clarity in, I gave myself that space that I was just talking about. And I asked the question, where does my skills and mm. experience intersect with my passion. Mm. And that's how I came to this clarity around being a chronic illness coach. Mm. That's such a powerful question. Yeah. And actually, I want to give credit, I think, between Amy Porterfield and Jasmine Starr, that's how I came to those questions. I was listening to them a lot at that point. And I think one of them I was listening to as it like, it like <laughs> like I had the a moment and I got to tell you when I asked that question and I sat with it and I, I allowed, I allowed spirit to flow through me. Mm -hmm. I allowed the answers to come. I didn't force them. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, it was so beautiful because it was another one of these moments. I um, was driving about 45 minutes and I had this, this, like clicking of like, oh, this is the answer. And I, I couldn't write it down and I couldn't, I just had to drive. Well, I went 24 hours, maybe even 36 hours without writing it down. And my body was like mad at me. It was like, girlfriend, you've got to get this out. You've got to write this down. And I finally got home after, you know, it, I think it was about 36 hours. And then the, in less than like an hour, I had the entire framework for my business coaching. Wow. For my <laughs> chronic illness coaching. I had the framework for the chronic illness life cycle and like uh, just all the pieces. And it was just this divine download. I know it was coming through me. Mm -hmm. um, and I just felt really grateful for that. And that was because I allowed space. So I really want to encourage allowing your space to be, to not do. Yeah. I love that. Cause that's so in our, in our modern society, that's such a big piece that so many people are uncomfortable with. Yeah. You know, like making that space to just sit and be, it's like, Oh, I got to do something. I got to yeah. be productive. 
Well, and the and when you when you stop, and when you stop doing, you may even become aware that you've been busy to avoid things that you weren't ready to deal with. Mm, yeah. But because you stopped, you've given it space, and it is safe. It is mm-hmm. safe to deal with those things, and those things are calling to you. You just couldn't hear them because you're so busy doing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Also what you just shared about, like you had the idea and you went, I think you said more than 24 hours without writing it down and that your body was like, Oh, I gotta get this out. That makes me think of, um, have you read big magic by Elizabeth? I I have. It reminds Uh, me of her, her, right? Yeah. Gilbert, Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, that reminds me of what she says in there, how like ideas and inspiration, they're like little entities and like <laughs> come to visit you. And if you don't write them down, they're going to go off and go visit someone else. <laughs> yeah. This one, this one, it was spirit knocking. This one was like, <laughs> dude, you've got to take care of me right now. You got, I got to get this out. So yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I have um, a set of questions I like to ask all of my guests towards the end. Okay. And I'm feeling called to ask them now because I feel like they can go into like another piece of conversation. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So the first one is what does self-love mean to you? Oh my gosh. This is a developing understanding and What I'm getting a clearer understanding is that self-love is the mother goddess wrapping her wings of light, her arms of light mm. around you and, and holding you and breathing with you with love mm. and light and, and, and using that as a model for what would you do? What what would the mother goddess do to care for you as though she were your child? For me, that's my guidance on what do I need to do to take care of myself? What would the mother goddess do? Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. I love that. Especially because that gives it, you, no matter what you're going through, that kind of gives you the power to be your own parent you know with that with that question of like what would mother goddess give me what how would she support me right now yeah and I think it's important because not all not all of us had the parents we wanted or needed Mm -hmm. right and so there's the, the model of the inner child and the inner child work and taking care of the inner child well the language around that is what would you, what would you, how would you parent that child? And for those who don't have model of good parenting, Mm -hmm. mother goddess serves as a universal understanding that we all deserve. Mm -hmm. Just by being born, just by being who we are, we deserve. And we actually, I actually believe that we are love and light. And Mother Goddess ha- helps us connect with that. Mm. 
So beautiful. So the next question is what makes you feel the most grounded? Um, my feet in the sand, mm-hmm. in the Good sand, one. hot sand, sun <laughs> shining down and very related is, is being in the ocean. Mm. The ocean is my heart song. And so those are two things that are outside of my house that are outside of most spaces that I am in on a daily basis. So I, I want to add the third, which is, is it's breath. breath. It's, it's getting still and planting my feet and, and breathing in the light that I know is there, that is coming up through my feet, is coming down through above and creating that pillar of light through me. That's how I create the groundedness. I love that. I need to go to the beach today. (laughs) Are you near the beach? Yeah, it's a 30-minute walk and I barely go. For living living right next to it, I barely go. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is a travesty. I know, I know. (laughs) If you go today, please take off your shoes and wiggle your toes in the sand for me. Yeah, I will. So the third question, I'm not- It's a little cold here. It's cold. Yeah, it's a tiny bit cold here, but it's nothing compared to most parts of America right now. (laughs) (laughs) So the second question, I'm forgetting, but I'll ask you my favorite question. Yeah. What is your favorite part about being a woman? You know, we're talking about the divine feminine and I think women have easier access to that divine feminine. Mm. I was talking about how we're disconnected from it, but I think our ability to reconnect and to tap into that is easier. And when we do, when we connect into the, the, the divine feminine as women, we, it's, it, it, it sounds super cheesy, but we connect in with our power and our glory and all that we can do to um, support and love and, and be who we are, shine, right? To shine. I think yeah. that's the key for all of us for shining is, yeah. is as women is tapping into that divine feminine. Yeah. And I think, um, I know both of us don't serve men with our work, but I've realized lately that like men need this connection with divine feminine as well, because a big piece of feminine energy mm-hmm. is like being able to emote and being able to, cry and like we have these messages in the world that are like boys don't cry and we have you know oppression for them and yeah you know as women we we get that space to cry to our friends without our friend being like oh whoa (laughs) like (laughs) men don't don't normally have that same space in our society and I think that's slowly shifting as women are able to connect more with the divine feminine because we're becoming more powerful to be able to hold space. And I think, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm like 
all the words are like coming to me as I speak. <laughs> I think I that it. as as more women start to really ground and embody this divine feminine, that men will start to feel safe to connect with their feminine side. And it, I think that will lead to a whole new layer of like collective awakening and a pivot in how society is. Yeah, I, I think you speak to what I was nuancing with my words when I said women have it easier. Yeah. It's more, it's an easier path for us to tap into the divine feminine because of mm -hmm. the cultural structures for all of us, but particularly for men that keep them from uh, feeling safe in tapping into that. What's yeah. interesting is I think our younger generations Mm -hmm. with all that they're doing with all this uh, all this diversity and equality and um, LBGTQI and all of that it is it is allowing for a more of a blending of the divine feminine and masculine even if they don't have those mm -hmm. words for it I see that's part of what's happening. And so that shift mm. you're talking about isn't just happening yeah. at our generation's level, but it's coming up more powerfully in the younger generations. And I just think yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I've got, like, I've got some teens. <laughs> they keep me on the forefront. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. I love that for the world. Gives me a little bit yeah. of hope. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's wild how like quickly things can change you know like 20 years ago the iphone didn't exist social media didn't exist like things can really change and yeah yes and we yes, were talking and. at the beginning yeah because yes and right yes time moves fast and things move fast the the shift towards more divine feminine has been happening over the centuries mm. you know it was it was it was taken mm -hmm. it was this you know centuries ago um when there's a shift from women-centered cultures and women-centered medicine and all of that since those days we've been trying to come back to resist yeah. right and so it's been small inroads and and it's like those inroads are building on each other and getting stronger with and kind of exponentially and so yes and yes things yeah. change really quickly and and other things need to build on them and we got to keep building on them and we keep opening ourselves up to them yeah. so that they can become what they're meant to be so that we can become what we're meant to be mm-hmm yeah, so true. What comes to mind for me when you share that is like what's happening in Iran because like women there have protested before and there have been protests there before and it wasn't as powerful as what's happening now because the young people now like had mothers who were already, you know, wanting a change and you know they yes. grew up already hearing those stories of like we need to be more compassionate, we need to be more equal, we need to, you know, not put 
so much authority and structure on like a cloth that we wear have to wear on our head in public and yeah I love that reflection of that like it has built upon each other yeah and yeah. that's very like with being people of service and I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast as well is like someone who is here to serve others I feel like when we have such big dreams to like really change the world it can be very helpful to realize like things build over time so even if you're working hard at like let's say climate change is your purpose it might feel like you know your work is so small and so insignificant but it, it's going to like the next people the next generation will stand on your shoulders and it just keeps yes. building and building and building you you really well clearly articulated that better than i did <laughs> <laughs> I love that the image of standing on shoulders and it's like hand, hand to foot, you know, where those, those, those feet on the shoulders are being supported by the hands below them to keep them stable and keep them rising up. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Do you ever do any like ancestor healing work? Cause that, that makes me think of that. <laughs> um, it has been the kind of thing that has been nudged and niggled to me that I need to do some yeah, of that. Me too. Um, I've done a little bit, but it like keeps popping yeah, up. <laughs> it keeps on going, hey, hey, yeah. need to do this. Um, there's so much work to be done. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much healing to be done. It's like one nugget at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and honestly, you know, I just... I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, but I want to genuinely reflect that it doesn't always show up in the way of the ancestors. If we look at ancestors as these people 100 years before us, I did work in my 20s to break the cycle of my families the cycles mm. of codependencies, the cycle of addiction. And so that was ancestral healing. Yeah, it was. And that was what I did. I, I broke that before I had children. So I didn't pass that on. Yeah. And so I didn't call it ancestral healing, but I'm thinking now that that was a form of it. Yeah, it totally was. Yeah. That's what's interesting about like how we label things like, for example, the first time someone asked me about shadow work, I'm like, well, what is that? And when I learned what it was, I'm like, oh, I've been doing that. And even like words like embodiment, like when I learned about embodiment, I'm like, oh, I've done this before, but the practitioner or guide didn't say it was embodiment work. They called it a dynamic meditation. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's interesting how our like words for things change over time. And like when certain practices are very popularized and you're like oh I need to do that but like without realizing that you've already done that before yeah I think what's important about what we you and I both just shared around that is we need to be careful of our labels and yeah. acknowledge the work that we have done just because we haven't yeah. met the criteria of the label doesn't yeah. mean our work isn't worthy and that the progress that we're making is not enough so many women act out of a place of not enoughness. And if we can just really take the time to celebrate and acknowledge what we are doing, 
what progress we have made. I, I think that's something really powerful for all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. I love too how you did all this work of like breaking patterns before having kids. I feel like that really like sets the next generation ahead. And, um, I myself have been doing healing work for like 10 years and my husband and I are now talking about like having kids within the next like two years. Okay. And, um, we talk about all the time about how, cause both of us have parents who had us really young. And okay. We talk about how interesting it is that when you're so young, you're a little bit more connected with ego and like more focused on yourself and stuff. But as you get older and you learn more about the world and you maybe not everyone does this maybe you get access to certain books or certain speakers or mentors or or someone else reflecting back at you what's actually true and you have that moment like we talked about earlier where like all of your beliefs get shattered and and your identity like shatters and you step into this new way of being and um it's just amazing how when people have that possibility, that possibility to do that, like what that does for the next generation, because in, in my opinion, and I'm not here to like judge any parent who had kids at a young age, that's told, that's your journey. I think everything that happens is because it's your journey and that's what you were meant to do. But I really believe that like, as a parent, you are a guide. You, you, you're a space holder. You're essentially someone of service and, like we said before, it's hard to be of service and to to give love to others without filling your own cup first, because then that potential that you really have to be a powerful space holder and guide and healer and be a mirror, you're just not able to 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 fill that potential. And for anyone listening, like even myself, who who can realize that that gives you like this um, ability to have so much compassion for your parents. Yeah. Cause you just realize they really did do the best that they could. They did yeah. the best that they could at the time. Yeah. I say it's the best they could do with the tools available. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, it's about the toolbox that you have. And if you, if the tools aren't there, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot harder. Yeah. And I think that that aspect of compassion is super hard it's really hard because it's it feels super like, important. Yeah, it's super important. It frees you. And it's so hard to get to that point because it feels like you're saying that everything that happened is okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which it is okay, but you know what I mean? Like condoning it versus accepting it is like two different things. <laughs> it's confusing. And that's part of the hard, mm-hmm. hard it's part of the navigation of it all because mm-hmm. man, there's so many emotions. If it was just one emotion, man, I got this right. But there's yeah. so many inner inner actions of emotions that it gets really confusing. And it's like, well, I can't do that because then like, and especially if the parents haven't changed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's the and they're not, part. and they don't see that they need to change. That yeah. becomes 
that becomes really hard, but the healing isn't about healing them, it's about healing you. And the compassion, like the mother enfolding you with love and light, the compassion is self-care. It yeah. is how you take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love this conversation. <laughs> For anyone that's still here listening, I would love to give some space for you to share about your work and share about where people can find you. And if there's any like links that you know you're going to be giving me for the show notes to where people can find you or to any freebies or anything like that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a couple of things if I can share them all. Yeah. Is, is yeah. Good? Go um, ahead. So the, the, um, you can always find me at uh, carriebakier.com. I do have a uh, Women Transforming Chronic Illness Facebook page, a uh, Facebook group. So it's all about women coming together who are sick and tired of being sick and tired and are ready to give and receive support towards mm-hmm. transforming their experience of chronic illness. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to invite any woman in here dealing with long-term health challenges into that group. It is young. And we are looking to bring more in and just create a really supportive community. Um, so really excited about that. We have a flare-up recovery plan, which is a customizable recovery plan for when those flare-ups happen. Flare-ups are one of the hardest parts of being chronically ill or having long-term health challenges. The sudden resurgence of symptoms and there's just uh, there's this whole upwelling of catastrophizing and oh my god I'll never be better oh my god you know it's just going to get worse from here and the flare-up recovery plan is meant to help you think ahead of time what are the resources you need what are the contact informations what are the medicines what will you do so you can breathe deep and say oh I have this plan this is what I'm going to do I'm okay Mm -hmm. so it's taking out the acute crisis of a flare-up flare up plan uh flare up and and giving you the calm and poise to get through it with grace mm-hmm. so that's my freebie <laughs> <laughs> love it so um are you on any uh social media i am i'm on facebook uh carrie Bakier, and then instagram and linkedin carrie Bakier. okay so we'll put those i think linkedin i'm carrie meffert Bakier. i'll give you all the links okay cool sounds wonderful thank you so much carrie this has been so awesome thank you so much thank you for tuning in to this episode of openly spoken i know that there's an abundance of content online so i really appreciate you giving me your ears today If this episode shifted something for you, please share this with a friend and slash or write us a podcast review if you're listening to this on iTunes so that more people can find this. If anything shifted for you from this episode that you want to have a conversation about, I would love to hear from you. Just send me a DM over on Instagram at selfexpressfabe and that is in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you next time.